couple of weeks. Uh, yeah, just as, a, as an introduction, as a, as a start off to this Christmas season. I want to just start off by telling you just a, a short story. Uh, this is a true story. This happened to me on uh, Tuesday morning. So uh, Monday night, I, I go to bed. And on Mondays, I, I need to get up a bit earlier than normal. I need to get up uh, at 6 because I have an early morning Bible study with some guys. So I set my alarm for six. The rest of the week, I don't need to get up quite that early uh, so I can set my alarm a little bit later. But I went to bed. I went to bed on Monday night and fell asleep. Did you ever do this? I don't know if you're like me. As soon as your head hits the pillow, you're kind of flat out asleep. Uh, I was tired. I, I put my head down. Before I had a chance to change my alarm, I was, my head was on the pillow. I was asleep. And I was even thinking about it as I was, as I was going to bed, but I was just too tired. I woke up. Uh, uh, the other thing to mention is, is that my wife is generally not too impressed if the alarm goes off and I don't actually need to get up. Uh, I don't know if, that's, uh, if you've ever experienced that, uh, but if it, goes off, if it goes off and then I stay in bed, she's not, potentially, she's not particularly impressed about that. Um, so I went to bed, woke up uh, Tuesday morning at three minutes to six. Three minutes to six. I just happened to wake up and had the presence of mind, even at three minutes to six, to think, my alarm is about to go off in three minutes' time and wake my wife up, and I need to change it. So I wake up uh, from my sleep and realize I've been sleeping on my arms. So I go to grab my phone, and my hands just do this <laughs> on my phone. And I'm like, no, come on, I need I've got three minutes, come on, wake up. And so I'm trying to grab my phone. <laughs> um, and I'm like, okay, I just, I just need to, I've got three minutes, it's okay, my hands will wake up, my hands will wake up. But as my hands are starting to wake up, I'm starting to drift back to sleep. And I'm like, no, I can't, I can't get back to sleep. So I start to shake my hands, I'm starting to shake my head to try and keep myself awake. Uh, but not too violently, because I don't want to wake Kat up next to me. <laughs> so I'm sort of gently shaking both of them, be like, come on. Go, go eventually grab my phone, try and put the passcode in with a hand that's still <laughs> not working. No, fail, no fail. I'm like, come on, I've got like a minute left before it opens. Eventually, managed to get in there, get the alarm, change the time, put it back, head back on the pillow, back to sleep, victory. And <laughs> peace for another hour or so. Slightly silly story, but that, that happens. <laughs> Peace, peace is a funny word. It has a number of similar but different uses. It can be that calm, restful silence, sleep. It can be the absence of war. It can be a greeting or a goodwill gesture, peace to you. It can describe a feeling or an emotion or a state of mind. How are you doing this morning? Would you describe yourself as living in peace? Would you say that peace characterizes your life? Or is there a distinct lack of peace in your life? This morning, we're going to start our Christmas uh, series by looking at peace is here. But I want to ask, is peace here? Change the wording around. Is peace here? We see in our world global leaders uh, squabbling and sending Twitter messages to each other. We see missile tests from nations that are considered to be a threat to the world. We see conflict and political uncertainty, uh, which lead to refugees across our continent. We see homelessness, substance abuse, human trafficking, and suicide. We see people struggling to cope in our world, in our country, in our town, even in our families. We see people struggling in their mental health. We see people struggling in their physical health, in their finances. 
We know people who are worried about tomorrow, worried about their job, worried about their family, worried about bills that they can't pay, worried about their relationships. If we're honest, sometimes our own lives are not characterized by peace. So where is peace? This morning I want to answer that question in two ways. I want to look at a very brief history of peace from Scripture. And then uh, for the second half, I'm going to look at how to cultivate peace as a Christian. So I want to look at, if this is working, I want to look at a brief history of peace. Sorry. Are you able to click on for me? I can't get this to work. And if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 1. I'm going to read from verse 1. Okay, so I'm just going to read the first couple of verses and then we're going to come back to it in a minute. Verse 1 and 2 say this, In the beginning was the word... And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Uh, The word in these verses talks about Jesus. Thank you. Uh, Talks about Jesus and the fact that Jesus existed before he came to earth as a baby. He existed in the beginning. So we're talking before the creation of the world, before the creation of the universe, before time itself. Jesus existed as part of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And he was with God in the beginning, and there was perfect relationship in this Trinity. Between these three persons of the Trinity, there is perfect love, there is perfect harmony, there is perfect peace. There is a perfect honoring of one another. There is a perfect submission to one another, perfect obedience. This is an incredible picture. (laughs) Before anything existed, there was peace. Uh, And so we carry on. John chapter 1 verse 3 says, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So life itself emanated from Jesus Christ. The plants and the animals and the birds were made through Christ Jesus. And after all that, after the universe was made, you and me were made, mankind. How amazing is it when we consider the vastness of the universe, how, how kind of infinite it seems that still the pinnacle of God's creation is you and me. He looked at mankind and saw that it was very good. He made us to rule and steward the earth, to have dominion over the animals, and to be in perfect peace with God, with one another, and with all that he had made. We were made to experience and to share in that perfect peace that God had before the beginning of time. We were created to live in that perfect harmony. And then sin came into the world. Through Adam and Eve's disobedience, the peace that we had with God was ruined. Mankind was no longer at peace with God. And then 
from that point on, we, we often don't think about the Trinity from that point of uh, the fall of man up to the year zero, the year when Jesus was born. But presumably the Trinity continued to live in and experience that perfect peace between themselves. Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit continue to perfectly love one another, perfectly honor and glorify one another, continuing living in perfect peace with one another. And then still hundreds of years before Jesus was born, we read verses like Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, which says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be on his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end uh, on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. I've realized I've not clicked on. There we go. <laughs> So even still in this moment, hundreds of years before Jesus actually comes to earth, his coming is prophesied, it is told, it's foretold by various prophets in the Old Testament. Which means that Jesus knows that he's coming to earth. Jesus knows that he's going to be leaving his father's side, that he's going to be limiting himself in human flesh. And yet there is still perfect peace in the Trinity. There's no sense of fear or worry Jesus is perfectly willing and perfectly obedient to the Father, even though it means emptying himself and becoming man. Philippians 2, 5 to 7 says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. That means that Jesus knew he was coming to earth. He knew that he was going to become a man, that he was going to empty himself in a sense, limit his, his divinity to become man, fully God and fully man, but no longer able to be everywhere at once, no longer able to see everything at once, uh, and no longer to be kind of outside of time and space. He is limited to mankind. And for hundreds of years, Jesus knows that this is coming, and that he's going to be rejected by man, that he's going to be murdered by man, and that in doing so, he's going to be the saviour of all mankind. And in all this, there remains a perfect peace between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but I struggle to have peace when I know that I've got an exam coming up, uh, or you know, something, something like in, in the next week or month you know, that, that's big. I, I start to think about it, and maybe start to play on my mind. But it's astonishing to think that there was complete peace in the Godhead, even though Jesus knew what was coming. He knew where he was going. And then we carry on in John 1, verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. I, I tried to get my head around this, how an eternal infinite, perfect being can put on flesh and be limited to mankind. How he could willingly choose to become a baby, the creator of the universe, the one who we just read about, without him was nothing made. Now he's totally dependent on two flawed, fragile human beings <laughs> to look after him, to protect him, to raise him. I don't know how you would feel about having to become a baby again. 
that however much of a stretch that is for us to consider, it's that much more again for God to become man, to become a baby. And yet Jesus, in this frankly ludicrous situation, continues to enjoy perfect peace. He's born in a, in a stable, in a filthy, stinking stable that's unsanitized, that's disgusting, probably noisy, smelly, maybe cold. And yet he continues to experience perfect peace. I read, sorry, skip back. I read this passage earlier from Luke 2. Um, and I'll read it again quickly. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was the angel sorry, suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace amongst those with whom he is pleased. The the skies explode with a multitude of angels singing glory to God in the highest. This idea of glory, it it carries uh, like an ultimate beauty or magnificence. The angels show up and say, Glory to God in the highest. What is being declared is there is a a beauty on earth now that displaces all other beauties. Anything that previously was seen to be beautiful or glorious or magnificent is now secondary to this. It lessens the beauties uh, because of how beautiful this new thing is. There is a magnificence now visible in Christ Jesus that lessens the magnificence of other magnificent things. Glory to God in the highest. What, What is that beauty? What is the magnificence that has come? That God, in the sending of Christ and in the coming of Jesus Christ, makes peace with mankind. Jesus didn't come holding commandments 11 through to 20 as a a follow-on from the first 10 commandments that have been given. He didn't come to add to our burden. He came to bring peace. Jesus, who had experienced perfect peace for all eternity past, had now come to earth, was fully God and fully man, to make peace with mankind. It's it's interesting who the angels first appeared to. You you may think that they would search out for who is the the, the people most likely to be able to uh, go and, and spread this message quickest, or the people who are most worthy, most deserving of hearing this message. But they appear to the shepherds. Uh, shepherds in the first century were so poorly thought of that their testimony was inadmissible in evidence, as evidence in a court of law. <laughs> they were considered to be liars and thieves, so unclean and morally reprehensible that they weren't allowed to testify in a court of law. On top of this, they were fundamentally rejected by the first century Jews. They were Uh, rejected as those being outside of the covenant of God's promise. They believe this because shepherds, by the nature of what they did, looking after sheep, could not come to the temple for sacrifices because they were keeping watch over their flocks and they could not obey the cleanliness laws of the Jewish people. The religious elite of that day just saw them as unclean, as filthy, as unwanted, as those who were outside of the grace of God. 
Yet, when it comes time to herald the good news of the hope of mankind for all time, God chooses not to come to the morally upright and elite, but rather to morally broken and hopeless people. But that's good news for us. See, you and I, uh, the Bible is clear, are broken from birth. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are all rebellious against our creator, every one of us. The Bible says there is no one righteous, not even one. All have fallen astray. There is not one of us who is able to stand righteous before God and say, I've been good, I've, you know, I've kept the law. Even the Pharisees of Jesus' days, who did all they could to be right with God, were essentially just hypocrites. They didn't follow the laws. They just made it look like they were completely following the laws. Any righteousness that could be forged with your own hands is false and not acceptable to God. You and I are fractured in our relationship with our creator, God. And we face the wages of our sin, the things that we do wrong, the punishment for sin, and that is death. You and I deserve death. We do. We can look at others and judge. We can, we can try and compare, maybe, uh, and think, well, you know, there are lots of people who are much worse than I am. But at the end of the day, if we are truly honest, if we take a long, hard look at our own lives, we know that we're not able to stand before a perfect creator God who made us, who knows the perfect way for us to live and to give an account for our lives. I, I wouldn't even like to give an account for the last week due to our sin, we do not have peace with God. And that is the reason that Jesus came as a man. John 3, 17 says, oh, let's get that. Uh, Christ has come into the world not to condemn the world, but rather to save the world from condemnation. You see, Jesus came into the world as a man. He lived a perfect life. A life that we couldn't live by ourselves. And he died a death that he didn't deserve on a cross. The, the cruelest form of punishment, the cruelest death that they had at the time. Why? So that he could restore that relationship between us and God. That lack of peace that we have by being disunited from God could be restored. We can have that peace before God again. Jesus is a friend of sinners. He's serious about holiness. He's serious about repentance. And yet Jesus fully immersed himself in a world of sinners, in a world of people who were against God. He was not concerned about whether he was popular or not. He was confident in the truth of God's word. And he was able to love and to serve and to engage with humanity and then die on their behalf. He lived a perfect life, perfectly righteous. But that doesn't mean that he was emotionless. That doesn't mean that he was floating on a cloud and ignoring everything that was going on around. Jesus felt pain. <laughs> Jesus felt rejection. Jesus felt angry at times. Jesus, Jesus felt a full range of human emotions. And yet was still fully at peace. He was without sin in that time. 
he, he experienced what it meant to be rejected by those closest to him. He experienced what it meant to go through all of life's troubles and frustrations and people not doing what they should be doing and people rejecting and yet somehow was able to maintain that peace with God. And in doing so, he makes a way for us to enter into that same peace. And again, that that doesn't mean that we don't then feel any negative emotions anymore, but we have peace in those situations. Uh, I'm running short of time. I I wanted to continue on to look at history of peace into the future as well and look at how we are right with God. And on Judgment Day, we can stand before God and say, I am righteous because of what Jesus Christ did. There's verses in Isaiah 11 which talks about that judgment day and eternity. And it talks about various animals lying down with one another in peace and harmony. In addition, the the curse of the ground that we have been living under will be removed and a land will be characterized by a peace which includes harmony and productivity. The nations of the world will come under the dominion of the Prince of Peace. Just finish with Isaiah poetically characterizes it as a time when you will go out with joy and be led forth in peace and the mountains and the hills will burst into song before you and the trees of the field will clap their hands. That is a peace that we are able to look forward to. We know that this life is temporary as we just heard from Caroline. It's a drop in the ocean and yet we are able to experience perfect peace with God in all eternity. So how are we able to cultivate peace? For those of us who struggle with fear and anxiety, peace seems fleeting, uh, like a fleeting feeling or an an elusive dream. Our minds race, our hearts worry. We can't seem to find a moment of quiet amidst all of the possible things that could go wrong in life. But for those who are willing to look closely at their hearts and then beyond themselves to God, there is good news. Peace is accessible. Jesus says these words in John 14. If you wanted to uh, just go a little further into John, you can read or you can follow on the screen. John 14, 25 to 27 says this, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you, Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. See, just hours before Jesus is about to be tortured and killed, he's not thinking about himself, he's not thinking about uh, his own peace, he's thinking about his disciples. He's concerned for his disciples, for his followers, for you. He wants us to have peace. What is his peace? As I said before, he's experienced great distress and suffering, grief, betrayal, frustration and rejection. Jesus experienced a full range of human emotions, lots of which we wouldn't normally associate with peace. And so what is the peace that he is talking about? The actual word is uh, translated from the Greek word uh, irene or irene not quite sure how to pronounce it. Uh, and I borrowed this from Andy, who spoke on this topic last year. But it's defined as the tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ, and so fearing nothing from God, 
and content with its earthly lot of whatever sort that is. That is the peace that Christ offers you this morning. That's not to say that you won't face hardship or suffering or even distress, but that your soul can be tranquil, assured of its salvation through Christ. You see, Christ died for the sins of the world, but it's for those who place their trust in him. Those who say, Lord Jesus, I know that I've done wrong. I know that I deserve death, but I place my trust in you. I place my trust in your shed blood, the fact that you died on my behalf. And Colossians 3.15 says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. It's a command for us to let the peace of of Christ rule in our hearts. Now the peace of Christ ruling in your hearts takes place when you surrender your life to Christ. If you're not a Christian this morning, then the Christian life is about surrendering to Jesus. It's saying, I, I cannot, but I'm trusting that you can. I'm making a mess of things. I don't trust that you, uh, and I trust that you will not make a mess of things. I give my heart to you, my life to you. I lay it down at your feet. God, help me. Finding rest for your soul comes at a cost. Coming to Jesus requires that you lose whatever illusion of control you once had. But let's face it, you, you never really had control of your own life anyway. Fear and anxiety are proof that life has become unmanageable. When you recognize this fact and bring your burden to Jesus, he will take it. But you actually have to give it to him. So many of us want to come to Jesus uh, and ask for his help, but we aren't actually really willing to let him have control of the outcomes. We secretly hope that we can make life work for ourselves, and just have him walk behind us a little bit and just sort of tidy up where, we, where we've sort of messed up or where we've not got things quite right, but, but still pretty much to plough our own path, to do our own thing. That's not what he means when he invites us to take his yoke and learn from him. Because he is gentle and lowly in heart, he asks no less of us. He wants us to humble ourselves and to trust that he knows how to handle our troubles better than we do. So if you're a non-Christian this morning, there is an opportunity for peace with God through Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you, if you don't know Christ this morning, if you haven't said, yes, I want, Lord, I want Jesus to be Lord of my life, there's an opportunity to do that. Please come forward after the service. I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to pray for you that you can experience that peace of knowing that you can stand before your creator God and say, I am perfectly righteous because of what Jesus did for me. For many of you who are Christians, you, you have accepted Christ. You may still feel like you are not living in peace this morning and not letting the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. So I, I just want to offer just four quick, uh, four quick encouragements for how you can consider how to cultivate peace in your life. The first is get perspective. You know what? You are not God. <laughs> 
I hope you realise that. Uh, I hope you recognise that this morning. You didn't come in maybe thinking that you were. Uh, just to confirm, you're not. Um, and, but sometimes we think, you know what, I'm, I'm going to try and be God this week. <laughs> and we take on uh, weights and take on responsibilities that aren't ours to take on. You can't fix anyone. You know that, right? You can't fix anyone. Let me tell you why anxiety and fear and stress start to build in the life of a Christian. You start to believe that you can fix someone. And then, you know, your crazy sister comes into town and all the weight of fixing her and her life that's so jacked up is on your shoulders and stressing you out. You're fearful. You don't want it to explode. But you can't fix her. You can't even fix yourself, as we've just been talking about. How are you supposed to fix someone else? All of a sudden, you're trying to control, you're trying to manipulate. Maybe things at work, maybe things at home, uh, maybe that husband or that wife of yours, your, your children who are off the rails. You start to take on places and things that aren't yours to carry and that you can't do anything about. That's not to say that we shouldn't pursue righteousness and good living and kindness and those other things. But we need to remind ourselves we are not God. Heidi Baker, Kat's written this in my notes, Heidi Baker says, God is God and I am not, hooray. I want you to say that with me, okay? God is God, I am not, hooray. God is God, I am not, hooray. <laughs> It means that we're able to come before God and say, I can't cope. I can't handle this situation. I can't, I can't deal with these people. I can't cope in my work. I can't do this anymore. God, I need your help. And the longer that we keep hold of that ourselves, the longer that we try to work those things out in ourselves, we are not cultivating peace. We are not allowing God to be God in our lives. So get perspective. We, we just talked about the fact that we worship the God who created the universe, who said in a word, let it be, and there was a universe. God has the power. God is sovereign. God is limitless. And his love is astounding. Let's trust him. The next step is confess and repent. Honestly come to him and admit that you haven't trusted him. Talk to him about the ways that you've trusted yourself instead. Ask him to turn your heart towards him. And it might be that you need to apologize for having made yourself God of your own life and that you, in your sin you have tried to dethrone him. Repent of that. Confess that to him. And if there are others that you need to forgive or apologize to, then that is going to rob you of peace. Don't hold on to that. Don't hold on to unforgiveness, to bitterness. If you know you need to go and either ask for forgiveness or to forgive someone else, go and do that. Don't hold on to that. Don't let that rot away at you. Don't let Satan rob you of peace through relationship breakdown. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. The third way is to practice thankfulness. I understand that Christmas is, is a difficult time for many people. And this Christmas may be particularly difficult for you for, for some reason. It may be that you're not able to spend as much time with family or any time with family this year. There are all sorts of, of things that could potentially make this season difficult. And I, I don't want to take away from that. I understand that. 
But my prayer is that you might be able to take time and space over this Christmas period to give thanks for the unbelievable grace that God has shown you in your life. His goodness towards you, the way that he has blessed you. As this week begins to progress, that you might become more and more in tune with the generosity of God in your life. And your heart might grow in thanksgiving you might be rejoice that you may be able to rejoice in being part of a, a bigger family than just your immediate family. You are now part of a global family of God. Remind yourself of the truths in God's word, what Christ has done for you, what God has promised you by his word. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms with thankfulness in your heart to God. If you want to pursue peace, practice thankfulness. And if you want to practice thankfulness, let the word of scripture dwell in you richly. As a church, one of our values is truth. And we say this, we're building a culture of truth. We choose to live our lives with the absolute truth of the Bible as our benchmark and look to it for direction on how to live. We build community that is genuine with relationships built on truth and honesty. It's such a privilege to be able to read through scripture, to be able to read the promises of God that are for us, for now and for all time. I hope this Christmas time you're able to spend some time just being thankful to God, coming before him and thanking him for all that you have, all that he has given you. And then finally, I want to encourage you to guard against cynicism. For some of you, you really need to watch this. Cynicism will try and rob you of your peace because it tries to undermine the contentment that you have in God. If your default default setting is to say things like, I've I've had better, Uh, this is what was wrong with that. Bitter, jaded, angry, unforgiving people are evangelists into their jaded worldview and we need to guard our hearts against it. They refuse to let other people experience the pleasure of things. They point out weaknesses. They point out failures. They point out shortcomings. They are jaded men and women who want to invite others into that unforgiveness, bitterness, and rage. And they will be very quick to dampen your enthusiasm about places and people and things and ideas because of their own resentment and bitterness and unforgiveness. We need to be so careful to guard against this Christ first. And this is an area where I, in particular, need to guard my own heart. I know that I live in a, in a country <laughs> where actually cynicism in some ways is, is encouraged and at times it's you know, promoted as a good thing. Some people will brag about it and say, yeah, I've, I've got a real critical eye. Really? Congratulations. Uh, you need to ask yourself, Am I known for my critical spirit? Don't aspire to cynicism and negativity. Choose to make your default praise and thanksgiving. Aspire to be like the most thankful person in your life. Most of you, if I ask that question, who, who, who do you know who is the most thankful person? 
will have somebody in mind probably who you think, oh man, they're just so, they're just so joyful. I know for me, I've talked about this before when I've preached, but my granny is just unbelievably thankful for all she has. And you look at her situation, you're like, really? Like there were so many more people who should be thankful for what they have. And yet it just overflows out of her. Aspire to be like the most thankful person that you know. Don't let cynicism rob you of the peace that God intends you to have. I'm going to invite the band just to come back up um, and I'm going to pray for us. But they're, they're going to just play at the end and I want to encourage you not to rush away, not to just uh, quickly dash off for a coffee. I understand if you have children you need to collect, then that's fine. But if you know this morning, you need to look at these things and you need to get perspective of who God is. If, if you need to confess and repent to God or to others, if you need to practice thankfulness, or if you need to guard against cynicism or repent of cynicism in your life, take time to do that this morning. Just, you can stay in your seats. If you like, you can go and speak, speak to somebody in the prayer ministry team, ask them to come and pray with you. They'll be available after the service as well. But if you know that you are living with a lack of peace in your life this morning, don't leave this morning feeling that same way. God wants you to experience his peace. He wants you to have his peace this morning. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your son to earth to live the perfect life and to die in our place. We can't thank you enough. We can't get our heads around it, even close to getting our heads around it, but we are grateful. We are so, so thankful for what Jesus Christ did for us. Lord, we pray this morning for your peace in our lives. That we, we want to uh, live in that peace. We want to fight for that peace that Christ won for us. Lord, and I pray you'd help us to take that seriously, to take that, that challenge to live in that peace seriously. Lord, I pray that you'd help us uh, as, as we look at maybe these four things. Lord, to point out areas of our life where we need to change where we need to actually cultivate peace in our life. Lord, I pray for repentance this morning. I pray for heartfelt repentance. Lord, for areas uh, of our life that we need to repent and turn over to you, Lord, I pray that we would do that. Lord, where we've tried to make ourselves God, where we know that there are situations that actually we've, we've put ourselves in the place of God in that situation. Lord, I pray that you'd help us just to hand that over to you to trust you, to say you are God and I am not. Lord, help us to yeah, trust you more fully this morning. Lord, I pray that you would cultivate peace in our hearts as we pray now in Jesus' name. Amen.